Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, as usual. And today I get to flow with a person that I recently met and yet feel a very deep and strong connection to. Uh, there was a lot of flow in our first sort of uh, conversation and there seems to be a lot of overlap in our interests. So welcome to the podcast, Thomas Broom. <laughs> Brun. Yes, Brun. <laughs> I am it. <laughs> so nice that you invited me to join this conversation. Yeah, it was is a fortunate kind of uh, meeting, uh, and and uh, it felt like there was a lot of resonance uh, to me as we spoke mm. last time. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see uh, see what can be co-created between us today. Um, and I'll start us off as I usually do, uh, which is an invitation for you to kind of introduce yourself as you see fit um, with a very simple question, the light question of uh, who are you, Thomas Brun? <laughs> so I share the response that I really mean and not the one that I usually give. <laughs> and I feel that response would be, I feel as the subjective experience of a collective story. Yeah. I am the subjective experience of a collective story. And sometimes I look back and I wonder, am I still the same person like five years ago? <laughs> if it, yeah, I'm still that storyline and I, there is the same subjectivity behind that, although so much around me is changing. And at the same time, I feel that's not just me, but somehow it, I feel as if that subjective experience embodies something of the context that I'm part of and sometimes I'm not sure am I experiencing me or am I experiencing the field that I'm part of so you you invited me and it's interesting because I recently thought about that question who am I or what am I and yes of course I'm kind of a trained physicist and I'm a research group leader at an institute at the here in Potsdam and so forth and all those are interesting aspects to share and to talk about but somehow in the way you asked the question, I felt, no, I say what I really mean. And that's, that's the response that comes to me. Hmm. And hmm. that's a, that's a fascinating <laughs> response. I think. Would you, if, if you would speak a little bit more mm -hmm. into it. Um, so recently I sat down um, on that question uh, and I wondered, who am I? What am I? Because cl clearly there is a me somehow, somehow. And I have been born and I have accumulated all sorts of interesting experiences. Um, and I'm doing all sorts of interesting activities, but frankly, they are changing quite a bit. I have discovered various sides of what I have been doing in this world. I've studied physics. And uh, then I did a PhD in nanotechnology and I learned something in it and I have, have engaged for re issues related to sustainability and consciousness. And then I moved to an institute here um, in Potsdam called the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies, helping um, decision makers to make meaning around sustainability issues more connected and more connectedly and not um, not just putting experts sides by sides, but helping groups of decision makers to really make holistic decisions and gain shared understandings as foundation for better informed decisions. 
over that time, I feel I have little to do with the physicist anymore. <laughs> I have mm. moved more into a facilitator and um, now I'm, I've studied a psychological leadership program because I feel so much is about cultivating the sensitivity for this, that field of decision makers that often I do intuitively, but where a psychologically and spiritually informed sensitivity might help me in serving that role. So sitting down recently and wondering, like, what am I? Who am I? Challenged me to, to reflect that experience. What am I doing here? What am I serving? I sometimes feel like I'm... For these group processes that I facilitate, I feel a little bit like the glue helping these different individuals. They really often come as individuals. They don't feel very connected. I help them to become mm. the field and think mm. and make decisions together as a field. And in a way, that means that over the process, I become more and more invisible. I become more and more redundant. Because essentially it's about the group. And as soon as the glue is there and as soon as they feel connected as a web, I'm not needed anymore. And still I'm there. And it's important that I'm present, holding somehow that field of connectedness. And I don't think I will ever find a really satisfying response to what I'm doing with my work. But I realize that my presence changes the way how groups of people relate how they interact and how they become effective together. And it can happen that in the beginning, I am very much holding everyone together. And on the second day of an event, I take a nap. Yeah, because I feel great. They are in their flow. They really operate as a group, 70 or 100 people moving completely differently than if I had not been there. But in that phase, I'm not needed anymore. And so my presence is important. Quite, quite an ambiguous situation, if that makes sense to you. <laughs> it's really interesting, though, because... And how do you think about that piece of daring to step out, to, to, to allow yourself to be redundant? Um, quite ambiguous, frankly speaking. Um, on the one hand, I love it. Yeah, because it's a real letting go. And I feel joy in just witnessing how this group of people has moved into a certain flow. Yeah? Mm. And witnessing that and moving around and seeing, oh, wait, great. Everyone is kind of in that self-organized flow and walking around, seeing it, cool, great. And then feeling not needed, on the one hand, is a great relief and very relaxing so that I literally took that nap. Yeah, I'm not kidding. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and at the same time, I still every time encounter that aspect of ego in me, you know, that also feels like, huh, now everybody's in their thing and they are really excited and talking with each other and nobody's taking notice of me anymore. Yeah. That, that is also uh, some kind of, hmm, it's a pity, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I do still experience that aspect of ego in myself in those situations. Um, and at the same time, I have grown into that role and I have uh, learned to just sit with it and say, aha, yeah, sure. Um, that's, that's what's happening in me. And I like what I do and I, I appreciate enough what I'm witnessing happening so that I can uh, gladly welcome also that aspect. 
Um, I think it's in the Tao Te Ching that there is a, a quote that says, uh, the best leader is the one who's barely known. And mm. after, after a big event, you know, if I feel everybody's joyful and excited about what happened. Oh yeah. And I think it also in that part, it's, it says like, um, and everybody will say we did it all by ourselves. And I really mm. love that because it emphasizes that self-organization process where everybody steps into his or her capacity and power and agency. And to some extent, uh, people then might, may not notice that it had to do with a facilitator creating some kind of space or holding some kind of connectedness for a while. And in the end, you really become redundant and it's beautiful and it's a bit sad. <laughs> but mm, I'm trying to organize my thoughts because there's, there's a lot that comes around. But, but one of the things that, because it, it, you're pointing to something which I think is really alive for mm -hmm. me as well. Um, and it's connected to some sort of fear mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. as well, like around, around like being important or like um, what you mentioned right before we started recording, which is like um, this sort of addiction to accomplishments mm. or like mm -hmm. achievements mm -hmm. rather than, you know. Um, and, and what I'm, they're like two things. So, so one thing is just that fear is getting like, I'm like, ooh, that sounds exciting, but but it, there's discomfort in me from, from hearing <laughs> of it as well. It's like, how do I stand yeah. really in relationship to that? I don't know. I, I wish I could have that relaxed attitude, but I don't know. It, there's tension. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing that, that comes to me is also, which is actually something I spoke of with, with uh, one of my old vocal coaches who I invited onto the, onto mm -hmm. the podcast. Um, which is kind of around improvisation. So it's like the, anybody can do it, you know? And, and it's the same thing with the co-creative aspects. Like anybody can do it. Like it, it is truly democratic in the sense. It's just that depending on, there is also a skill that goes into this. Um, it's a craft mm -hmm. as well to, to hold that space, to set up the field, to kind sure. of um, orient us, to allow us to connect, to, to find that glue between us. And depending on how you do that, which is what you're saying as well, depending on how you do that, there are a lot of different um, possibilities, possible outcomes. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just, but I don't know yet for myself how I stand between that. Is it good that people walk away there saying that we did it all ourselves? Mm, you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, or is it good that you also have this humility. Um, there's a trap of certainty, you know, somewhere. There's like a trap of knowing, like of thinking that you know, knew what happened or, or there's like an exploration, like a mindset of exploration of discovery. And, and I wonder sometimes like, what is the, what serves the group better? Is it better to have a feeling that, okay, like a humility towards the outcome that was achieved, that it was truly a collective process or is it, is it better for people to walk away feeling empowered and saying, I did this? Mm, I, no, I hear you. I hear, like you. A, I hear you. Good question. Um, what is in your mind when you say, is it better? What would, what is in yeah, mind? That's a, it's a tricky language. I don't, I don't necessarily mean better, but I, I think I'm, I'm trying to rather think of it as like what serves us. Cause you mentioned the collective story. So, 
So there are certain, like, what, you know, what serves <laughs> us and who do we serve kind of thing. Like, so first, let me say, I'm so surprised how we have jumped into this conversation. I like it. I, I have never <laughs> given that kind of response, but somehow from our connection, I felt invited into it. And I'm, I find it funny where it takes us. Um, I would like to react by taking a certain detour. Um, in recent years, I have moved more and more into facilitating also Chinese groups. And um, I make very different facilitation experiences when working with Chinese people. I can't generalize it to Asian people in general. It has been quite specifically Asian and also uh, Chinese and overseas Chinese people mixed, yeah? but people with a Chinese cultural background. And I'm experiencing that serving that group of people, those different kinds of group of people, um, invites very different qualities from me as a facilitator. <laughs> and that's, that's very challenging. And if you ask what serves the group better, I feel it is so dependent on the constellation of the group. And it's so dependent on what kind of personality profiles you have in a certain group, in which constellation, etc. It's I can't give you a systematic answer to it. Often I still respond to those situations intuitively, but a general um, response that I can give is like when working with when working with decision makers here at the ISS in the beginning, you know and when you work with very high-profile people who, who kind of also in a conventional sense often accumulate quite some power, I felt it takes a lot of time in the beginning to even create a little bit of sense that, oh, we, are, we belong together. There is a shared concern in the middle and it's worth listening to each other and it's worth not sharing everything that I know in one go, but holding it back a little bit and hearing everybody around that question before I share the next. And, um, and there I witnessed myself in a very different, uh, very different inner state of being compared to when now working with Chinese, where I, feel I can assume that there is a sense of connectedness always and a very remarkably deep sense of connectedness as a foundation for a group. And it takes much more effort to help everybody show up as an individual, as a self in that field, because there seemed to be such a strong gravity towards being connected and being united and so forth, that people hold back what their specificities might be. And I was struggling with that in the beginning because I was so much conditioned to respond in a very soft, very gentle, very adaptive way to, to those big figures, so to say, and, and focus on connectedness, say, oh, wait, here I have to be very distinctive and sometimes sharp and say, wait, stop, this is not this and this is not that. Let's, let's keep things apart. And um, so what serves the group best um, is something that I... I need always a couple of hours to find out by myself. So every, every event, the, I spend the first one or two hours minimum to just get a sense for the group, for the field. And through various ways of introducing 
each other to each other, not in a just conventional round of introductions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe doing some small constellations where you get an overview what perspectives are in the round. I, I also ask people like, what do you feel comfortable with? How many people in the room do you know? You know, all these things shape my sense for the group as a group, and that's the that connects back to what I said in the beginning. I've I've sometimes wondered why am I doing that? Am I doing that for the participants? Mm. And because participants love the way how I facilitate introductions, but I feel I mainly do it for myself so that my sensitivity can connect to the field of people. And then I have a better sense how to respond intuitively during the process. And some people may need me to stand up quite clear in the beginning and be the natural scientist to say, okay, we are here to talk about this and that and that, you know, and represent a certain type of authority also. While other groups may be threatened by that and need need me to hold back and be very, um, yeah, but very humble and soft, etc. So that's the dimension of what, from my perspective, what serves the group best. And the same is true for the group and the people in the group. Some of them may be so convinced of their own positions um, that they are more in a confrontational mode and might oppress other perspectives in the room. So if you have too many people of those, you know, they might need more of the humble perspective like, oh, we did it all by us. Kind of, we did it everyone together. Mm -hmm. While others who are usually hiding and feeling like, okay, I just go with the flow might benefit a lot from realizing, whoa, I did it by myself. You know, I, I remember an event with, with a guy, I, there was one open space element and somebody had offered us a session and then something didn't work out with the constellation of people. And he said, okay, just cancel my session. Yeah. Or I think even somebody else asked him, like, couldn't you just cancel your session? Then everything would would work, work out. And he said, yeah, 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 sure. Mm -hmm. And a few minutes later, he said, you know what? I actually think my session would be important for me. I would like to host it. And I said, great, we'll find a way. Yeah? And we did find a way. It was great what happened to the group in dealing with that. And he was a very calm, very modest person. And when we did the closing round, and we were like, what are the most powerful moments that you take from these four days that we spent together? And he said, you know, that's an experience that I will always take with me, that I spoke up and said, I think this is important to me. And, you know, it, it was a very scientific topic. Yeah, he was an, I think he was a neuroscientist from Spain. Yeah, um, a genius, very calm, very modest person. And just memorizing it touches me very much because I still feel that gentle power that was in him saying, I, I think I want to host my session. Although his natural impulse would always have been to withdraw and say, no, 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 it's better for the group and we have a solution, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I'm sitting with that ambiguity um, when, when you ask your question, what serves the group better? I feel I can only get a sense for that once I have found my way into the group as a group what what is it but and maybe i have to add i i feel i follow a path that's very much oriented towards a balance 
between the we and the I, the own agency and the reflection and holding back, etc. So, and, and that may be a personal value judgment or whatever that's behind it, but my path is always one of balancing and finding a middle ground and a connection. Um, so when my sense is, oh, we are leaning more towards this side, I feel the group would benefit more from an emphasis of this and that. And another group might more lean to another side and they might want, need something something else. So, And for me, that's, that's also my understanding of self-organization in life in general. You know, we, how, how different cells are cells by themselves, but they also form a larger organism. And that organism might be part of something bigger. So always renegotiating that balance between a self and the belonging. That's what guides me. Because as you're speaking, I think, I mean, what comes up very strongly for me is that you seem to be describing very much this sort of reciprocal process of that, that is not just for the group or just for the mm-hmm, self. Mm-hmm. It's, it's they're in communication with each other and there's a flow there uh, in a way. And then also what came up as a, as an image, I don't think it's, it's biologically correct, but it's like, it is this idea of osmosis a little bit. Like as you, as you have certain substances or certain energies um, that increase in concentration uh, on the inside or the outside of, of, of an, of an entity of a unit of a mm-hmm. membrane, um, there will be like, they will push, like there will be some sort of rebalancing mm-hmm. happening um, in, in life. There's like a certain flow that affords, that's an affordance of the, of the concentration of a particular energy there. And then it's, it's like your part of your work as a facilitator is to actually allow things that needs to move to move mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so that they don't mm-hmm. get stuck. Um, and also to return to that point that you're speaking of with the, with it, because that's a theme that, that I've been exploring in my own facilitation is like that, that idea of coherence, because you want, or at least I want coherence in the group, you, you, but, but there is, the, the, there are dual traps in coherence. Coherence can, can disappear when everybody's just agreeing. Ah, uh, totally. When it's just kumbaya and everybody kind of gives up yourself and, and you are just the group. Th- that is not coherence. That is, that is something else. And, and then, of course, you can also collapse into conflict, which is the other. That's what we think about usually, I think. with But, but um, there has to be that sort of dynamic tension, like that in, in impulse of energies for the magic to happen, to kind of to have that dance mm-hmm. where it's like, where is that? dynamism and we're moving between our roles and mm. that's beautiful so for first I, i'm not familiar with the term you use sysmosis i haven't looked at it from that angle how you described it i will revisit that i feel it's uh, quite interesting how you described that um yeah that thing about coherence and conflict um absolutely um is crucial. And my first, very first facilitation trainer, he always emphasized that conflict is beautiful. And when whenever you spot something in a group where you see that there is a contradiction, you say, oh, great, we have a lightning here. And he, he really used to mark it with a light. Great, that's something to work on. That's something we can learn. Yeah. And at the same time, like from my biographical background, I was a rather risk, uh, not risk averse, (laughs) but a conflict averse uh, person, probably also risk averse, maybe. (laughs) But um, 
because harmony was such a high value to me. And I always felt hmm, conflict kind of destroys the harmony. But what I would say I learned over the years is the question is how is conflict contained? What is the context in which conflict can take place? And oh, I would say my contribution as a facilitator often feels in a way very small but still essential, and that is I just create an atmosphere of mutual appreciation. Um, if there is this atmosphere of like every perspective, and that's what I embody in that moment, I really value all the perspectives in the room, and I give them the attention and appreciation that every perspective deserves. And in that kind of container, conflict can be something where these perspectives get into contact, in touch, and realize, mm -hmm. oh, we are not the same. Yeah, yeah, and that's beautiful because it also brings out what is the difference. Like different flowers have different shapes and different colors, and that's it's part of a garden. It's beautiful, but it can only take place if there is a, a shared space and container of everything here is appreciated and valued, and it is allowed to be. It's not a battlefield. Like, oh, we are different, so only one of us can exist. No. And that is my contribution. And often I work with people who come from the conditioning, like when something is different, it's a threat. Yeah. And, or it's an opponent. And uh, I have to creating that atmosphere where this mentality can relax, ease out. I would even say dissolve a little bit. I feel that's everything. The rest then happens by itself. But, but in that, under those conditions, conflict is amazing. It's beautiful. It's constructive friction. And it's definitely part of aliveness. And then coherence is that all the diverse perspectives in the room relate to some sense of shared purpose. But it's not that everybody agrees on something. Yeah, that's, that's what comes to my mind listening to you. Yeah, I mean, I love that because it's also like if we, if we just run out the experiment or like run that thought out to, let's say, sustainability, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that area. And then we have this, uh, at least in the circles that I hang, like a lot of people want to have one, one answer or like mm -hmm. one thing that you can do to be sustainable or one technology or one solution for this problem, this predicament that we're in. It would be very comfortable to just say, okay, you know, Elon Musk, here you go. You know, everybody drives electrical cars. It's solved. We're sustainable. Boom. You know, let's go on living yeah, our lives as sure, it sure. has been, you know. But but what you were speaking of and, and what you're speaking also of, of with the group is that that you need different tools for different contexts. And it's highly mm. contextual. And there is no such thing yeah. as one answer because from one person where one person is sitting, from a particular perspective as a physicist, you know, you want perspectives to be in, in, in true deep conversation with each other, with, with a lot of contact, a lot of surface area to, to be exposed to one another so that we can kind of find out what are the meaningful differences, what are the differences that we should, that we should hold to that are, that are still differences that, that generate something, um, the generative differences then, if you will. Um, and, and, and there are other differences that, that might just be terminology or, or labeling or, or something else that you can kind of put to the side because you use one language in one group and another language in another group mm, and then you can mm, kind of mm. understand and gain some more coherence. But, but there isn't, the desire isn't to collapse anything. The de desire is to kind of enrich 
in something and, and to, to allow for more diversity and more different perspectives. And, and in that diversity, that's where we have resilience. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where the, the, this field of, of crops or this, this uh, you know, uh, what do you say? This mountain sort of, you know, with all the flowers like that, it becomes resilient because it's not just the grass or just this or just that. It's, it's you know, holding the earth down in a different way. Um, and enriching the soil, if you will. You know? I couldn't agree more, Amit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and somehow the tension, several perspectives open for me in that. The one thing is, I'm, of course, the, a child of a civilization that has very much emphasized um, notions of control and power over non-human life, mm -hmm. other, li other humans, etc. And this... This yearning for a technology that solves something that we have identified as a global problem, let's say, yeah, that yearning is to, and I can identify it in myself, as, of course, yeah, it would be steam, sounds convenient and nice, etc. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that yearning for me is an expression of the belief that the world is constructed somehow top down, hierarchically. And that if I just get to that leverage at the top, you know, I can just pull something and then everything changes. Hmm. And I think it's important to acknowledge that the, the mere notion that this is the way how potential solutions might be constructed is a reflection of the conditioning of a society that is, has created this unsustainable situation and this non-resilient form of being that we are part of. So as I try to contribute to a more sustainable global civilization, I am continuously, like described before, balancing or trying to navigate between the context specificity of responses to the current situation and the need to somehow talk about the globally connecting challenges and issues. I think it's super important that people from all over the world talk about issues of biodiversity, that they reflect about the challenges of global warming and accumulation of gases in the atmosphere that are out of balance, etc. So that global discourse, that global coherence, or that the, the struggle at a global level is super important to inform the regionally different responses. And at the same time, the temptation is great is to say we have that global conversation about the challenge, and that's also the level at which we hope to find a response. And that is the problem in my perception. It, and it requires a lot of letting go from those who kind of also represent their regions to say, okay, I'm not here with the aspiration to say, I found the solution for all of you, and I'm our savior, and the solution is... Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's very <laughs> tricky. It's also psychologically interesting what's happening in those situations. But so the, I, all I want to say is the context specificity doesn't have to be in contradiction to the struggle for global understandings. Yeah, that's that's what I find important. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 pulled to to kind of stumble back into the into the other part of your initial uh -huh. answer of, of uh, that you're a, you're a subjective expression of a collective uh, collective yeah. story um, subjective experience i think and I'm, yeah yeah experience sorry. and and i was wondering 
uh, that collective story. Would you would you speak into that? What is it for you? So first, I realize I like that you um, said um, subjective expression that emphasizes a part <laughs> that I feel maybe sometimes I'm neglecting. I will take that with me. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm not just the experience. I'm also maybe the subjective expression of that collective story. Beautiful. Um, well, that collective story, well, I mean, <laughs> that's the big, the big question. <laughs> um, I feel tempted to start responding from the astrophysicist's perspective. Um, you could say I just feel I'm part of this story called life. Yeah, I'm part of this phenomenon um, that goes on through the cosmos as far as we can understand to some extent. Yeah, but I, I feel I, I'm just part of that self-organization evolution process. And that gives me a deep comfort. I feel, yes, I am Thomas Brun. I'm walking around here this, doing this and that. And at the same time, I'm just an embodiment of a phenomenon that has going, going on, gone on for billions of years. And from my natural scientific mind, I can start to understand a few principles of how this phenomenon has developed and why and what are key mechanisms, why life organizes this way and that way. And I feel amazed about what I perceive to be a development towards, you could say, greater consciousness of that self-organizing cosmos. And my interpretation is that as, as one human being, so as, I, as I am developing consciousness, becoming aware of my own existence, and at the same time, I might be fortunate enough to live in a time where this kind of moves to a level where the collective of humans around the world begins to look into a mirror and realize, oh, we are not just 7 billion organisms, but we are maybe forming a super organism. We, are not, we don't yet know how to, how to exist properly as that super organism, yeah, like it's a, it took us millions of years to learn to be human as individuals and to survive and be conscious, etc. But I, I feel part of that process, and that process is not limited to me as the little human being that I am, but I feel there is some underlying logic and meaning in the evolutionary process, whether it leads to some recollapse into a new Big Bang or whether it continues forever. In a way, I don't care but I feel embedded in that story and that story of learning to be alive and making meaning in, in that time that we've been given. And so that you, you see, I'm scratching the spiritual dimension uh, of the question that you invite mm -hmm. me into, but mm -hmm. it's, um, so that's always collapsing into me. I feel at this, I feel, okay, now I am one subjective experience and hopefully also expression of that collective story. And I embody all of that that's going on around me. I'm a child of it. I'm constituted and conditioned through it. And at the same time, something of that process happens through me. That's kind of cool, kind of beautiful. And on the other hand, it's 
ridiculously small, you know, and uh, and maybe period, you know, maybe that's just it. Um, but you and I sitting on different parts of this planet behind our computers, you know, mm-hmm. we're just mm-hmm. manifestations of that process that has gone on in different shapes for so many years and will continue in different forms for many more years. Maybe there's nothing more to it. And that's beautiful enough. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's this quote that's been alive for me the past week and, and it comes alive again now, but it's like the, I think somebody said, like, remember, remember that we are the result of the um, unbroken chain of heartbeats <laughs> from the Beautiful. first, <laughs> the first life, you know. Um, and that's that's you know, it's very, it's very profound in a way. And it's interesting also to see because you're you know you're you it feels like you're relating to sort of the kind of the highest level of the collective story in a way. And then there are also these other stories that we've, you and I have spoken about before, but like you're, you have all these different sort of partial identities and and, and partial stories that you're part of and that you're, that we are all enacting and and living. Interesting that you, yeah. Thanks for reminding me because I left out that part a little bit because of course that this collective dimension has so many layers. I mean, I'm, I'm also a subjective experience of like being German. Yeah. And I am, <laughs> and that has a huge influence on the way my experience in this world is constructed. And I, I often cannot distinguish like, okay, is that me or is that just an embodiment of that collective field that I come from? Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. That's something quite German or this is rather a European feature or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> And of course, like, I mean, I was trained as a physicist for almost 10 years and that has shaped my way of making meaning in the world. And I lived in a certain social background. I grew up in a certain family context, etc. And I can so much identify how I continue the story of my family. Oh my goodness. It's fascinating and scary and everything, you know, I feel it, it co-shapes my identity as a self in this very moment. And I'm continuously kind of bound to it and emancipating myself from it. it it's both. It collapses into the now. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing you speak to that sort of the, uh, the, the sort of cultural formation piece, which is like there's a story I find at least in in sort of developmental psychology cycles where where there's like um, there's almost a desire to overcome something. Like I will, I will strive higher up <laughs> in this sort of evolution. I will be, I will be, I will not be a Keegan three. I will be a Keegan four. You know, I will not be, I, w- I don't want to be red. I want to be purple. I want to be oh, teal. Yeah. You know, I want to be all of these like different types of, of, of hierarchies that we, that we put place upon ourselves. And, and yet what I'm hearing you speak to is that, um, <laughs> you could, you could even say like, you could use the word to be provocative. You could use the word victim, but, but however, however you turn, you're a victim of of your story, like you're, the, the programming that you've brought with you here. And, and what I'm starting to feel is like, it's not for me to try to overcome anything. It's, it's just for me to try to relate to it um, and, and humbly relate to it as well. It's, it's, it's that same piece that you were speaking of with the facilitation, mm. feels like. The, mm. the, um, instead of having a desire to, for things to be different, if, if I can just be with things as they are, 
then then maybe I can gain some agency in relationship to them. Maybe I can I can shape my life and, and pick a story that that I that seems more true to me at this point, and that might allow me to go where I think I need to go. Whatever I is. But. I, I really love how you phrased that in the last one and a half minutes. Yes. Um, just be with it consciously and learn to relate with it. I feel that's, that's enough. Um, I, I wouldn't resonate so much with the term victim. I know you wanted to provoke in it. So yeah. sure. But yeah. <laughs> I, I prefer to say I'm a child of it. Yeah. I'm an offspring. All that and of course there's some some journey f- behind that because like with my my german background i f- i was growing up with a lot of sense of like guilt and shame about the history that i come from mm-hmm. etc um and it's been a, only a development of the last 10 years for me to to fully take on those aspects of my identity and say ah yeah that's also Mm. that's something i'm as well and uh and um you you mentioned those kind of different levels of consciousness and like integral theory etc and you afterwards described Mm -hmm. also as a hierarchy and i i admit that i feel a bit alienated often by these concepts because of I know several say, no, no, it is not meant as a hierarchy, but I, it's often communicated with an implicit sense of hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And it, I feel a bit tired when I, when I hear it. I feel like, yeah, isn't that just a, a new branding of feeling superior to somebody else and feeling superior compared to the me that I was five years ago and et cetera. And I feel, of course, we are growing, but maybe it's just beauty in different forms. And um, I'm not sure whether these, I see some wisdom in the descriptions uh, of these different uh, forms and layers of consciousness. And I, I, I once had a colleague who was very interested in Jean Gebser's work and he gave me a sense how this is really not meant as a hierarchy. And at the same time, I feel it can trigger easily senses of hierarchy that don't, don't resonate with my love for the diversity of people. You know, and um, mm-hmm. also of myself, but just being with it and learning to relate with it—that's that what feel that's what feels very meaningful to me. Yeah, there's something. There's a. I don't know if you want to go there. Let's see. No, but the, yeah, maybe maybe just to 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 say it. But but it's like one of those. To me, it's like it's very difficult to hold these different systematic tools, like these mapping mm-hmm. tools, um, because in a way they are they are collectively very relevant and very nice to use to make sense of the world. Um, but you have to be extremely careful to not ever place them on a, on, on an individual. Okay. You know, yeah. It, 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 yeah. They are, you know. It's, and I feel the same way with like this whole discussion that is something that I've been exploring a lot is like this dance between the masculine and the feminine, um, you know, and it's the same thing. So on, on a, on a group level, on, on a, on a conceptual level, they're extremely mm-hmm. relevant 
and we can prove certain things and like it looks sort of like and and, and like there there is like an instance there's a probability of there's a higher probability of you know certain certain characteristics and certain traits and certain sort of proclivities if you mm-hmm. will um but then at, at the, the point is that on the individual level as you as you were looking at yourself or as you're looking at somebody else they are completely irrelevant they have, they have nothing to do you know yeah. you you cannot uh, impose that on somebody um <laughs> And, and, and yeah, you want to say more? No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I'm going, but I, I think that that was the key key point of it. Like it's with the her, like because it it kind of highlights what you. I think what where you were going with the with the or know where you were going, but what what I heard from you with regards to the the integral theory is that um, kind of what you were already asking me before when you said, "What do you mean by better?" <laughs> yeah. You know, and and who. Who is better for whom, mm-hmm. and, and who, who <laughs> ju- judges? Because there, mm-hmm. you know, there is a valuation. There's a value judgment somewhere nested mm-hmm. in that. Um, so even if you say further, or you know, other, or you know, it's, it's very tricky to not have get that directionality, and that that leads you to. I think Nora Bateson has this really nice spiel. It's a long one, but but that all of the all of the integral stuff, all of this sort of hierarchical mm-hmm. mapping type exercises, they are very closely related to eugenics because there mm, is a better, mm, there is mm-hmm. something that you're aspiring to. There is a more advanced, more complex, you know, and, and even if you are supposed to not hear more as better, that's how we are, at least in the Western world. Program. See, and that's cool. I'm glad you brought in that aspect of masculine and feminine, because also when you started speaking, my mind was moving into our first conversation that we had a couple of weeks back yeah. <laughs> when I was sitting under that tree. <laughs> I still remember that quite vividly. Mm-hmm. And I felt a provocation coming up in me. Um, so th- the fact that I'm so sensitive to the potential implicit hierarchy is also telling me something about the con- conditioning of my own mind. Yeah? Um, and the flip side of it is that I feel we also, or we, yeah, the, this... I'm also concerned to if if kind of leadership quality gets masked and hidden. It so the value judgment, so judgment itself is an is a key resource to also identify where is leadership quality accumulated maybe in a person, mm-hmm. a group, etc and not deny that potential to be leaders. And at the same time, stay sensitive that this potential leadership quality is not enacted as a leadership over others, but comes from Mm -hmm. a serving mentality of the greater good. And that's, again, for me, where the conditioning and the potential collide in the present moment, where... um, Mm -hmm. So I'm very skeptical about like in which context do which concepts come up and are they just a reframing of an old mentality? Yeah. Put into new words and new beautiful colors, etc. Or are they really an expression of a more caring, of a more loving way of relating to the world? And leadership, of course, is distributed unevenly. And of course, there are people who are more capable of holding a space for so-and-so many persons or so-and-so many persons. And there are people like 
in in a group of when you host a group of hundred people, you will identify identify there are some people with something like a natural authority, so to say, or they have more capacity, maybe more knowledge, it may be more courage and whatever. The skill is to find out who in the how is this negotiated within the group in service of the whole. That's the big question, I think. If it's in hmm. service of the whole and not a means to serve the self, so to say, and put yourself above others, etc., and justify some authority or power or knowing better, blah, blah, blah. That's for me the key criterion. Oh, you're really circling something here, which is interesting. Because it, it sounds like we're talking about power. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Anyway. And so... Uh, one could say that there's an implicit assumption uh, if you've been cultivated in, I mean, I'm, I'm also like Northern European context, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Sweden. Um, that you are engaging in certain activities so that you can. Yeah. Yeah. Fill in yes. the blank. Um, and then at the moment I'm reading Gregory Bateson and he says, He's pointing to something uh, around this map making that we're that we're speaking of, and, and and like the type of theory that he's trying to develop. He's he's saying that I cannot develop theory or make maps or make observations or or like run these things. It's not so that I can, but it's it's the this purpose for me. The sole the the final purpose for me is the discovery itself. It's the curiosity <laughs> of, yeah. of of you know, and so if we're shifting. Away from, and I think this is also like one of the processes that that we're involved with, both of us, with the Spirit of Humanity mm -hmm. Forum, where I've kind of uh, taken on this uh, this uh, idea of using art in the Spirit of Humanity Forum, and and how do you use art responsibly so that it's not manipulation, like you don't open people in order to, uh, but but rather you want to use art as an experiential component to reinforce whatever is already there. So it's like it's just more of of what is already there, what is inherent in the person. Um, and so it's more a curiosity around if we do this, then what happens? Um, it's not, we're doing this so that this can happen. Yes. And, yes. and I think it, it relates to that part of leadership because we are conditioned to believe that leadership is uh, exerting your power over instead of power yes. with, you yeah. know, it's that, that dynamic. And it's like, can you push somebody to move them or, or do you, um, clear the way so that people can yes. move where they need mm -hmm. to go? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's the right. thing yeah power is neither good or bad but the way power becomes embedded in a functional relationship to the world or other people this in order to that you mentioned that is a pathway to manipulation to oppression etc and it lacks that humility that you were relating when you were describing the way your style of facilitation, right? Because then you have to deal with that fear of not being relevant or, or important or, or uh, not being solely responsible. You, you're not the hero anymore. It's like a, it's a, it's a post-heroic, <laughs> post-heroic type of storytelling. Yeah. So that's the funny thing. Power is neither good or bad, I believe. 
But clearly, I would say, and I think we talked about that in our first conversation, um, there is also, you know, it's unhealthy to shy away from power out of the wrong reasons, so to say. So for me, it's a continuous learning also to find out how much do I trust myself um, as power is coming to me as leadership responsibility is coming to me. Like, am I, and I, probably that goes on for all your life. Like how much does it trigger conditionings of mentality that is in order to, and how much of that is healthy or can, can it be part of just a resonant way of relating? Yeah, I think it, I mean, to me, it relates to um, worth. A lot. Like, what mm -hmm. is my self-worth? Do I feel like I deserve? You know, that's, that's sort of the, the other, the one end. And then the other end is sort of the instrumental part of, mm -hmm. of power, which is like, if I'm going to take this power and use it for whatever reason. And then I think there's a healthy, <laughs> there's a healthy level of doubt. There's a, there's a guy called uh, Tom Nixon, who's building off of the work of Peter Koenig, which is like working with source. So it's like a specific way of, of looking at um, how projects originate. Uh -huh. uh, it's, a, it's a very ah, yeah, yeah, powerful. Yeah, Peter Koenig, sure. Yeah, I like it. Yep. Yeah, very much. Um, and, and I think they're, they're kind of saying that like as a, as a founder, as, a, as an initiator, as a spark, uh, you, are, you are absolutely crucial. And, and there are certain things that only you can do. No one else in this, however much you like for somebody else to be able to take over that role or, or move it in a certain way and so forth, it's not possible for them. They, they, they don't have that affordance. It's just you, full stop. And the worst thing you can do is to, to shirk away from that type of, of power just because you have hold another ideal or, or don't think you're worthy or why am I special and so forth. But there's like a certain, that's also, it comes back, to me, it comes back to that service component that you spoke speaking to. Like what's needed here is it needed to be sharp, to be very direct, to confront, to push this person, to make his point clear, or is it needed for me to, to let the group handle it, you know, and let that, like, let, let this play out, you know, because um, anybody can be a juggler. Like that's, that's what I feel a lot of facilitators are doing. You're like, mm. oh, well, we got a little bit hard over there. No, 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 no. Come over here. You know, Hey, Hey, there's a funny, here's popcorn. Here, here you go. Here's, <laughs> here's <one laughs> sugar. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You know, you're touching um, something. I mean, um, because clearly I would say that's what I've done. I've, I have not understood or accepted that there are certain things that as a source lie in my hands to do. And that has to do with like not considering myself worthy or not considering myself important or whatever. Even uh, maybe not knowing whether that purpose that I may believe to be related to, how important is that really? You know, how valuable is it really? And just say, well, if that's my story, then I am, I am in the driving seat of my story, full stop. Yeah. And, it's, it's, it's been quite a painful experience for me to witness what happened as I was refusing to take on the leadership of the story that I am the source for. So and I know the reasons and I, I can process it in a good way, 
And at the same time, it has sensitized me. And it's really funny to experience currently how I'm changing and saying, wait, no, yes, I am the source of something. It doesn't have to be super big or super meaningful or whatever, but I'm the source of something. Well, so take on that part. And I'm not forcing anybody to come on board of my boat. Um, I just want to sail it. <laughs> and, um, and the tricky thing is I'm doing that in the context of sustainability. And sustainability, I would say, is poisoned with that drama triangle mentality. Mm. Because it has so much to do with a concern about the state of the world. And there's a lot of them, victimhood and longing for a savior and blaming the perpetrators. And, you know, it's all the fault of the big oil companies and blah, blah, blah. Mm. <laughs> so I'm constantly in touch with that tension, so to say. And and maybe that's a good note to to kind of start wrapping up on. But but what a, when you look at sustainability today, like the 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 type of sustainability that you are promoting or hoping to come into the world, or or that you are trying to cultivate in people, like what what do you what do you tend to speak of, or like what are the main themes that you try to? If we are, what's the, what's the alternative that you are peddling in? Like when, when we're not speaking of the drama, like how do we stand in relationship to this idea that our world is in some senses, you know, collapsing? Is it collapsing? Um, the, the key idea that drives me or is, wants to be lived through me to say is a, is a joy about being alive. And not only me as my little self being alive, but you and me being alive. This planet being full of life. And the joy about that phenomenon is the, to me, well, it's a quality of love, you could say. Yeah, just relating to the world with that love and appreciation for everything that I'm part of. And frankly speaking, that, that encompasses many civilizational things that many people would struggle with. Yeah. So I, I witnessed so much this back to nature narrative, etc., and all that humans have done is so bad and cruel and blah, blah, blah. I can understand it. And at the same time, I feel it's a miracle that you and I can talk to each other and I can see your face and you're sitting a couple of hundred or thousand kilometers away <laughs> from me and our stream of consciousness can somehow connect and make meaning together. And I feel like this is incredible. This is, yeah. So not all of that is alive. Yeah? There is a lot of civilizational developments that I feel are pretty dead. Yeah? And sure. And those are allowed to die. Yeah? And it, it takes phrases of, you could say, civilizational hospice <laughs> or and grieving, etc. So for me, sustainability is not what many people see in it, kind of this, how do we make sure that we can just continue the way we have done for the last couple decades? And yeah, um, that's continuing the functional relationship to nature in a way to just manage resources more wisely, you could say. No. For me, it's about tapping into that joy of being alive and trusting the resilience that lies in 
being alive, not only as one human being, but as a civilization. I, th I can imagine, I mean, it's a pity we won't experience it, Amit, but maybe in a couple hundred years, whatever form of civilization will exist then, or a couple thousand years, yeah, maybe those living entities will look back at this period of human civilization and, and say, I mean, gosh, that was not very alive how they lived. How was that a comfort to it? You know, they spent their life in these boxes they called apartments. Like, wow, why the hell would they do that? And then historians would tell, yeah, there were good reasons. They were da-da-da and da-da-da. Huh, okay. And maybe what we currently perceive as a collapse, okay, now I'm becoming really speculative, but yeah, I like to share it from the heart. I sometimes wonder, maybe we look at this phase that we currently experience like at a birth process. Um. Think of, a, think of a child before it's born. And the moment before it's born, it must be terrible. You have experienced these nine months of cozy, warmth, everything's protected and you're taken care of, etc. Moving from that state of being protected into being outside in the cold. And yeah, it must be terrible. It must be a terrible process to be born. And at the same time, that's the, that's the joyful purpose of being alive, you know, to live. So who knows, Amit? Maybe, the, maybe it's not collapsing. Maybe established comforts are collapsing that have sustained our emergence over 10,000 years. And it's time to become alive just because it's joyful and beautiful. Ah, that's beautiful. Yeah, there's a certain certain one could say deadness but i would i would probably say more it feels like more of a numbness that is very prevalent in our on our society at the moment and i think yeah that's that's a really beautiful way of putting it that resonates a lot with me it's like that that you said it before too i think like the the, the next what is the next step of of the evolution <laughs> like what what is it you know what what is it a coming together is it is it not coming together is it you know is it going to be more humans is it going to be less humans you know is it going to be you know what is it going to be like there's just a fundamental curiosity i think where yeah where we can discover what's around the corner you know and and, and in order to do that yeah there's a certain there's a certain to me there's a certain um perspective which allows for an okayness with whatever comes you know because as I, I have a lot of desires for my kids particularly my two little girls you know they they I, I it becomes very sort of particular with them but then at the same time like from my own experience and I've I know that I've lived in a very privileged time like 80 something to till now you know mm -hmm. it's been very protective very very easy if you will um, and yet I, I, I believe it to be true that there is, as a matter of perspective, there's always a, a way of relating to whatever is happening that leaves you okay. That, that ends you, that there's always that joy, that fundamental joy is not because of something. It is no matter what, um, it's because your heart's still beating kind of thing. Um, yeah. The story of meaningful life will not end with us, hmm. whatever happens to this civilization. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I mean, 
like you, I'm a child of the 80s. Yeah, I'm born in 1980. I've never experienced war. I have never experienced any form of civilizational collapse so far. I mean, German reunion, I was nine years old. <laughs> um, and I didn't really experience that. So, And at the same time, I know these incredible stories of how humans were able to sustain that spark of joy and meaning in situations that I am not able to imagine. And I want to rest in that trust and faith that humans will continue to find ways to live a meaningful existence, both individually, but I feel next step would be also collectively mm -hmm. as a globally connected new form of organism. Yeah. I wish we could experience some of that still in our lifetime. I'm so curious. Mm -hmm. I think it will be beautiful, <laughs> but it will also involve a lot of letting go of structures that we cannot imagine to live without. Yeah, like also for me personally, and I'm experiencing that every day and often I already feel super old. I feel like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not as flexible <laughs> as many of the people I witness. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's, that's my time and my path. And they, they find different solutions. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Thank you for um, thank you for flowing with me and thanks for for taking the time to to have this conversation. This is and if if people want to find you or or uh, engage with you, uh, what why why should they do that and where can they find you? <laughs> <laughs> why should they do that? So a reason to connect with me might be that people would just like to participate in the kind of space that I can hold, either for people individually, as a personal guide, you could call it coach, but I, that's something I increasingly do to just support people in their own emergence process. Or if groups of people feel they would benefit from my capacity to hold a space for a group to tap into a different form of potential with each other, as a facilitator primarily or as an advisor. Um, or if they want to connect with other like-minded people who share that kind of learning journey. And we have created a, a platform for that process that connects the journey around consciousness and sustainability. You can find it on, online. The next version is going online in 10 days, quite exciting mm -hmm. times at the moment. It's called ama-project.org. Um, And uh, how would you find me? Well, that's the thing. I try to learn to relate the way that feels meaningful to me and not be absorbed by the masses of uh, connections that are offered to me. So I, I'm not on social media. Um, I think I have a Facebook account and I haven't used it for a year. I don't know. It's, it doesn't feel like meaningful relationship to me. Um, so my preferred connection is still email. <laughs> or telephone just call me that's often the best not make an appointment but just give me a call and you find my phone number on the website of the ISS um, I can't promise to respond to emails I realize that I have to acknowledge that um, as much as I would like to but through the platform ama-project.org fortunately there are so many people like us we're, we're not alone in that journey and so if I don't respond, I hope that people find somebody else who is like-minded and maybe even closer by 
even maybe even more related from their own um, to their own context on this uh, platform amamanasproject.org cool i'll provide the links both to the iss webpage and also the the ama ama project and i think it would probably be out by the time this comes out into the world uh, because it'll be a couple (laughs) (laughs) let me say amit uh, thank you for this conversation um i felt like you're about to bring us to a close and once again i like after the first conversation we had under the tree um it's precious to connect with you I'm grateful you provided this space so that we could explore our connection a bit further. Yeah, likewise. I feel gifted. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.